I'm excited about your homes, what God has planned for your home. And I just want us to, as we did during worship, I want us to extend our hands unto the Lord and just really receive the word that I have for you today. It's, it's a breakthrough word. And don't get tired of that word breakthrough. It's a breakthrough word. And it's going to transform your thinking uh, for this whole year. This word is going to transform your thinking through the whole year. If you understand this word, it will absolutely open the, the doors of heaven for you to receive greater things. In Jesus' name, I just come before you, Father, thanking you. Because of that, we have absolute access to the throne room of God. And we just ask now, by the Holy Spirit, reveal truth. Father, I thank you that even though some have come with great pain in their hearts, with pain in their bodies, those listening and watching online, they could not come, but they jumped online to listen, and they're in pain and struggle. But in Jesus' name, let this word absolutely bring about the revelation that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That whomever would believe would have everlasting life. And that life is a consistent blessing even on this earth. And I proclaim that now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. High five someone before you're seated, please. As you know, we've been using the Christmas story and the people involved in it in this series. I love Christmas. It's almost kind of sad that today I'm concluding this series and we're going to move on to another great subject in the Word. But I love Christmas. I love New Year's too. Uh, it's not about the ball dropping. It's about God has great plans for me in the future. And New Year's reminds me that God does greater things in my life. Because of the truths behind these celebrations, we can really have peace in our hearts in the midst of a chaotic world. I love the decorations. I love the trees. I love the lights, the music. It's so cool to me when I'm in the middle of a store and a song comes on singing about how Christ was born and he is Lord. And the whole store is listening to the truths is that God fulfills his promises and he sent his son, Jesus Christ. I love the decorations and a sense of the manger scenes. I'm not going to burst your bubble <clears throat> on some of the decorations today, but we're going to hear truths of that. But let me just say this at the beginning, is that we have a manger scene. Even though it's not totally biblical, I love the manger scene. Because why? It reminds me that we have a promise-giving God 
and a promise-fulfilling God that we serve. So the Christmas story is a reminder that God is a promise-keeping and a promise-giving God. The birth of Christ is proof that he is that, that God is. So turn to Matthew chapter 2. We're going to talk about another story in the Christmas story. And last week we talked about and concluded to reach the goal of of an answered promise, we are to pursue the future and we are to accept, believe, and wait on the promise. So as we have goals, as we have prayers, petitions before the Lord, we must accept, believe, and wait on the promise. Last week we learned what those meant. A lot of times when people think of like the word wait, it's like, when is this going to happen? It's a lot different in Scripture what waiting is. It's exuberance and excitement because you know God is a promise-keeping God, and that's what Christmas is all about. So here's a question we want to answer today, is what made the wise men truly wise? You ever thought about that? What made the wise men truly wise? And and in this story that we're going to, about to read, this is what I noticed. What is the most consistent in all the Christmas stories is that people began to worship him. In all of the Christmas stories that we uh, began to read and study, we found they came and they worshiped him. So keep that in mind as we talk about this. The desire was the people wanted to be in his presence. Everything they did, the money they spent, the words they said were basically worship, but wanting to be in the presence of God, Jesus. So in Matthew 2, Verse 1, I want to read it, but I want to pause and emphasize some some things. And as I do that, later on, we're going to explain why I emphasize these things. All right, everyone ready? Matthew chapter 2, verse 1. Now, after Jesus was born, notice the terminology after Jesus. Jesus was born, okay? In Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold or see or experience wise men from the east. Now, in my studies, my belief is these wise men came from Persia of the day, and they came to Jerusalem. Notice they went to Jerusalem first, not Bethlehem. Bethlehem was later. Verse 2, saying, where is he 
who has been king of the Jews. Notice they did not know where he was. But we know the story. They were following a supernatural thing, a star. For we have seen his star in the east. Notice they said his star. So there's something they knew in the past so that in the present they were believing and wanted to experience his presence. We're going to talk about the star in a little bit. And have come, here it is again, to worship him. Verse 3. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled and all Jerusalem with him. Normally, what they would think if there was going to be a new king, that meant there was going to be a battle and they were going to lose the battle and a new king was going to be there. Verse 5, verse 4, excuse me. And when he had gathered all the chief priests, the chief priests of the day were like the pastors of this day and scribes of the people together. He inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. So they said to him, according to prophecy, they they didn't say this, but that's why they were saying it, in Bethlehem of Judea, for thus it is written by the prophet. Now, verse 6 is also uh, in Micah chapter 2. It's actually a quote of a prophetic prophecy from the Old Testament. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are not the least among the rulers of Judah, For out of you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod, when he had secretly called the wise men, determined from them what time the star appeared. What time the star appeared. Now, secretly is because He wanted to kill Jesus and keep his job. And he wanted to kill all the witnesses too. All right? So notice it said, determine the time of the star appeared, and it was after Christ was born. Verse 8. And he sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the young child. Everyone say young child. And when you have found him, bring back word to me that I may come and kill, I mean, I may come And worship him also. He didn't want to worship him. He wanted to be worshipped. Verse 9. When they heard the king, they departed. And behold, the star. They saw, they experienced the star which they had seen in the east went before them 
till it came and stood over where the young child was. Three years ago, I did a a minor teaching on this, but I want to take you into a deeper revelation of this story so that you begin to understand the essence of what it means to walk in the future blessings and promises of God. That these promises coming to pass is not dependent upon how God feels or does. It's dependent on who you become in the process of receiving the promises of God because Jesus Christ being born is proof that if God has promised, and he has, he will make sure it takes place. But you must know how to receive it. Everyone following me? All right, so let's get back to the story. The star was a supernatural thing. Also notice the young child is stated nine times in 14 verses. Verse 10, when they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. In other words, they jumped up and down and shouted, there it is, because there was an expectancy in their hearts with all the travel that they did, with all the study, what we're going to learn later on, the study they did, the history of these wise men, where they started, where it came from, and how they're in, not these men, but the actual essence of wise men in the history of mankind, we're going to find out where they started and where they moved in different stories in the Bible. Because what we're trying to really grasp here is there is no doubt God will answer what he has promised. The struggle is that we have to develop something in our life that we actually, like we talked about last week, that we accept it and we believe it and we wait on it. And here today is how do we do that? What happens in our personality, in our emotions, in our faith? What do we do? What do we become like? And how do we live our lives on a daily basis to walk in these kingdom promises on a daily basis. Verse 11, and when they had come into the house, everyone say house, not a stable or a cave, oops, they saw the young child, not the baby, with Mary his mother, and fell down, and what did they do? Worshipped him. Keep that in your grasp. And when they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Verse 12. Then, watch this. Notice expectancy, 
because something changed in their life before their life was about demonic influence, was about all these different things. And because they studied their own history, they began noticing some things. And we're going to talk about that in a moment. They began noticing some things, and it changed their life. They wanted to go worship the God of Israel. Then, being divinely warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed for their own country another way. So we know these guys got there and they worshiped Jesus. The wise men understood worship that all of us can learn from them. So that's what we're going to do. There are three types of worship. And in talking about this, actually one person that turned me on to worship in a greater depth was Pastor Jack Hayford, who has just passed away. And um, loved that man and did a lot for me. So I give great honor for him. But these are the things that I learned from him that is in Scripture. So I give him, uh, I guess you want to say kudos, for uh, really turning me on to the essence of what it really is to be a worshiper. So the first thing that we find is they had expectant worship. The wise men came expecting something to happen when they entered into the presence of the king. Why is that? Well, let me tell you, they were expectant. They traveled 1,000 miles to get to where Jesus was. And they didn't have a Corvette to get there either. So let me, let me just give you some information about them. Now, the wise men actually are called the Magi, which is plural. And they were not Jewish people from the East. The word Magi is where we get our English word magic. Magi, they were past tense. Notice I said past tense. Magicians, astronomers, and astrologers. They were, in, in, in a sense, sorcerers. So these particular men, according to what I'm about to bring to you, were believers. And they were transformed, and magic was their past that they were delivered from, and they had great breakthrough in their life. And we're going to show you how. I will show you why I believe that in a little bit. But let's go now to some other uh, stories and find out where these magi, wise men, and the history of them, where they were in the Bible. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 2, you don't have to turn to that because I'm going to be pretty quick here. We see where the magi actually started. Then the king gave the command to all the magicians, the astrologers, the sorcerers, 
and the Chaldeans to tell the king his dreams. So they came and stood before the king. Now these wise men came from this group. Remember the story? The king had a dream. He didn't know what it meant. And we know Daniel answered it. But all these guys didn't know what it is. So don't be hard on them because all of us were born with a hunger for the supernatural. All of us are hungry. You get, you get an announcement and, a, and on TV, someone is laying hands on the sick and great miracles, people are coming out of the wheelchairs. Many of us want to go there because we have a desire for the supernatural. Let me tell you, the God who is a, a promise-giving and a promise-keeping uh, God is a supernatural God. And so we need to understand all of the reality of the supernatural that will bring you breakthrough comes from God. So if you were not part of Israel and didn't know about God, you hungered for the supernatural. And so throughout the history of the Magi, they would move from their teaching, from their history, from what their parents and grandparents taught them about magic and witchcraft and all the different things because they were seeking after the supernatural and what would take place is the false god, Satan himself, would deceive them. All right? So let me just say this. In history, sorcerers, witch doctors, witches, horoscopes, fortune-telling are not of God. Remove yourself from these things. Remember Moses. There were magicians. Many theologians... And historians believe Balaam was a sorcerer. The king of Moab, Balak, hired to curse Israel. Remember that story. And is the father, they believe that Balaam is the father of the, of the Magi. Now, Balaam also is the guy that the donkey talked to. Now, I would freak out too if a donkey talked to me too. Well, just put in your notes, Numbers 22, verse 12. And we're not going to go there. So Balaam was actually one of the first ones to prophesy about the star. So uh, this is possible where these Persian magi learned about the star. So when their reading of their history... They're beginning to seek after this supernatural because that's what they were. They're magi, sorcerers, all these different things. Then they began reading material of history and material of Israel, what took place with Israel, and it began to turn them. They, they began to recognize, even though they were taught, they were raised up to be these magicians, they began to see the truth that I believe set them free that started them on the journey to seek after this young child who is the Messiah. Numbers 24, 17. Watch this. He was prophesying 
under God's Spirit. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come out of Jacob. A scepter shall rise out of Israel and batter the brow of Moab and destroy all the sons of Tumult. Later, from this prophecy, Moab was defeated by, everyone here, Persia. And they, the Magi, go back to their founder. Now, when they go back to their founder, they begin to experience this written prophecy. They begin to experience these things about a star. Now, remember the days of Esther, another story in the Bible? That's when Persia, where these guys come from, were going to kill Israel, and God rescued them through Mordecai and Esther. Okay? So, listen very closely to this. Now, they're going back to the founder. The history of things are going on. There is this written prophecy from their founder about this star. They're looking for the supernatural, probably still functioning in magic and the false god. But they begin to renumerate all of these things and all these stories, and they begin to see, and God begins to use these stories to transform them to become believers. So we have uh, the days of Esther. And so when the Persians study their history again, the God of Israel rescued Israel. Remember Daniel, the story of Daniel, the Babylonian captivity. That was Persia. Their magi could not interpret the dream. All right? But a Jewish man could, and his name is Daniel. Daniel was rescued from the lion's den. Three other Jewish men were rescued from the fiery furnace. So these Persians, these wise men, reading their history, began to know God. They continually see the God of the Jews rescuing his people. They go back to a prophecy that a star is going to show where and when this Messiah comes. Isn't the Bible awesome? I mean, if you, if you just study all this, and, and, and I've spent hours and hours and hours and hours and hours going all this, reading about this, and, and, you know, Googling and doing all kinds of stuff. And it's just amazing if we would just recognize the history of our God that he rescues his people and he rescues you. There's not one thing that you will ever face that he cannot rescue you from because he's promised you. And the birth of Jesus Christ is proof of that. I pray that Christmas 
becomes, becomes such a bigger event and life for you from this time on. So Daniel prophesies the Messiah will come, watch this, in 483 years after the king calls for the rebuilding of the holy city. When did the king call for the rebuilding of the holy city? That's the story with Nehemiah. Okay? Jesus' crucifixion took place 483 years after the prophecy. There it is. Promise given, the birth of Jesus. Promise fulfilled, the crucifixion and the resurrection of of Jesus Christ. So when when I say this, I know you're not doing this, but if people ask you, how in the world with all of this lining up, and there's hundreds of more stories, how can we deny that God will fulfill his promise to you and me. So the Magi go back the many years and they see the star. So they begin their travel. Now, I'm just going to have to say this. Sorry, they were Persians. And because of their uh, titles, they didn't ride camels. They rode Persian horses. But let me tell you, we have a nativity scene here. I have a nativity scene at my house. Matter of fact, two of them. And I have fun with it. But we need to understand that the stories that are told, we need to go back to the Word of God and history and find out exactly what it is. And so that because, you know, the world you know, they're deceived. And in order to break through their deception to get them born again, they need to hear truth. So they were on Persian horses, the finest horses in the world. And it took them, they estimate, around nine months to get to where they found Jesus. So the wise men were not at the birth. All right? They came into the house to the young child. So listen very closely. I am all for our celebrations of Christmas. Amen. I'm all for nativity scenes on government property. I'm for the Christmas story and the Magi to be a big part of it because I like camels and I like those good-looking guys, you know, with their staff and they're standing there as kings. I love it. But what it does, it reminds me of the fullness of the story. Even though you could actually put a Persian horse there, even though, you know, you can 
have Jesus sitting there on a, on a toddler's chair and them talking to him, and, and you'd be right. But here's the reality. When we transfer the celebration as the truth instead of the truth creating the celebration, then we have a problem. So when we decorate, matter of fact, the Sunday after, I'm kind of sad when all the decorations come down. First of all, all the hard work everybody does, but the beauty of it. Because why? In my heart, when I look at a Christmas tree, when I look at a camel, when I look at all that, it reminds me that I serve a promise-giving God and a promise-fulfilling God because Jesus was born. So what is my point? The story has been passed down for hundreds of years about the Messiah. These Persian men traveled 1,000 miles to get into his presence and worship him. These guys traveled 1,000 miles, at least they say nine months. This Christmas story tells me if they made that much effort to get into the presence, why don't I make that effort? Why don't I get to a place in my life where in every single day of my life, I desire to get into the presence of God and to worship? Because our God, again, is a promise-keeping and a promise-giving God. The wise men were expectant and excited to be in his presence where miracles took place. Because all they know about this, this God is every time he was around and there was a battle, God won. Every time a situation arose, Israel rose up on top. And that's where we have to get to a place that Christmas is way more than Santa, even though I got Santas at my house. But we should be excited about the greatest gift ever given, and his name is Jesus. And we should desire to enter his presence. Expectant worship entering into his presence. So the first thing we learn is expectant worship. That there needs to be an expectation in our desire to be with God. That when we're with God in his presence, that great things take place. That's where worship begins to melt into our life and our being, is our desire of being expectant that God will do what he says. Matter of fact, church family, the message is the icing on the cake, but the cake is the presence of God. Here's the second thing we learn from the wise men. Expressive worship. Expressive worship. In Matthew 2, verse 10 and 11, it says, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshipped him. 
And when they had opened their treasures, they presented him gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, there are two phrases there. They rejoiced with exceedingly great joy. They expressed their worship. So first of all, they had expectancy because of knowledge, of knowing. Second of all, because of being in his presence, in worship, there's great joy. There's, there's jumping up and down. There's clapping. There's, there's waving of the hands. There's shouting before the Lord. There's singing, playing instruments. There's all kinds of things that we can utilize to express our worship. Matter of fact, the Bible says here that they fell down. That word, fell down, uh, literally means to fall down violently and be shattered. What? And be shattered. What it means is that absolute anything of this world has no push in your life for your future that you are absolutely overwhelmed by the presence of God, knowing that literally all things he's promised will come to pass. And your worship is full of rejoicing, even as was stated earlier today by Pastor Ryan, even if you don't see an iota of, of reason why it's coming to pass but you have such worship and expectancy in the middle of chaos and struggle and temptation and all the things that go on in this world, but you literally are shattered of all of that. It has nothing to do with what you do in your life, in your future, because you are excited being in his presence. Okay, let me say it this way. (laughs) You need to let yourself go. You got to get to a place where it's not what your neighbor's thinking. You got to get to a place when you walk in these doors in this church that you have such expectancy because you are driving to church. There's such excitement to be here in the presence of the Lord corporately with your brothers and sisters. And that when you walk in here, you are excited. You're so excited that all the stuff that's gone on this past week has nothing to do with what you're doing right now in this church service. That you are worshiping God. You are jumping up and down. You are excited. You are loving one another. Even though the world hated you during the week, and abuse you during the week, you come in here knowing that your God is the one that will answer prayers. I'm telling you, church, we were touching that today. We were scratching that surface today during our worship. We were. It used to be when Pastor Ryan would get quiet and everyone would just go, "Mm." and you know what I heard today? Pastor got quiet and you didn't. And that was awesome. That was amazing. Just to watch what God is doing at Valley Community Church. But guess what? It's not just you get it here, you get it at home. I can't do it at home. There are too many kids running around. 
Come on, folks. You get it home. You get it in your car. Amen. You know, I'm listening sometimes to CCR on the radio, and something is done, music is played, and I, I, wow, I get excited about the Lord, and I turn it off, and I start worshiping. How does that happen? Because I desire to be a wise man and walk in expectancy and exuberance where whatever's going on in my life is shattered, and now it's all about me and him in his presence. So let me tell you this. One day, every politician, one day, every billionaire, every poor person, every atheist, every college professor, Every businessman, woman, excuse me, got to be straight. Every laborer, every person will fall down at his feet in his presence, shattered. Because they will see the power in the presence of God. There's some scriptures that... that give expressions of worship. Let me quickly go over them. Just write them down. Psalm 47.1, Oh, clap your hands, all you peoples. Shout to God with a voice of triumph. Psalm 95.1, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us shout joyfully to the rock of our salvation. Psalm 95.6, Oh, come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord, our maker. And Psalm 134, verse 2, Lift up your hands in the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Let's do it. Let's do it. The third thing we learn about entering into worship and his presence is, you've heard this before, because I don't use this word very often, extravagant worship. Verse 11 of Matthew 2, And when they had come into the house, they saw the young child with Mary, his mother, and fell down and worshiped him. When they had opened their treasures, they presented gifts to him, gold, frankincense, and myrrh. So let me tell you, talk to you about the prophetic significance of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. First of all, gold is a symbol of royalty. Gold is a symbol of royalty. Frankincense is a symbol of divinity. Divinity and myrrh is his humanity. Royalty, divinity, and humanity. Reasons why the Persians brought these gifts? They were the three best resources that Persia of the day had to offer. Gold, frankincense, and the power of their nation. So Persia, through the wise men, brought their best. Let me ask you this. Do you bring your best when you come to worship? At times, I haven't brought my best. 
long time ago, I had confessed to the Lord, God, there's just sometimes, <laughs> I know I'm a pastor, I shouldn't be saying this. Sometimes, God, I don't want to be at church. I want to be on the golf course somewhere. I want to be somewhere else. I want to be with my wife in a hotel on the beach or whatever. And so what the Holy Spirit did with me says, okay, I get that because I gave you that too. I blessed you with that too. So what I want you to do now is I want you to come early always to the church and I want you to sit down, give me your best. And that's what I do this morning. Uh, probably the guys with the cameras that it lights up their phones as someone opens the door um, for our protection. Uh, I think it was 6.01 this morning that I entered the back door. I'm sorry, I went through this door this morning. And the first thing I did was to put my stuff down and to get on my knees before God and say, God, I want to give you my best today. If I'm not coming to the office, when I put my feet on the ground from my bed, I'll say, even if I'm, you know, walking to the shower or whatever, God, I want to give you my best today. And I believe because of what these guys had to do, they were given their best. They opened their treasures. Now, let me just tell you, these, these trips that these guys would take, remember, they're upper echelon people, rich. And it was a thousand mile trip. They brought with them, if something happened, enough money so they had enough money for their trip home. What historians will tell us is that when these guys would go on these trips, they would have bodyguards, all kinds of things, and guards watching their money because they would bring up to three years of money to handle the trip that maybe the trip took them a year or a year and a half, but they would bring double. All right, so if you figure nine months, whatever's needed, they brought, and they opened up the treasures. And the treasury probably had 36 months of money to handle the trip. Something was so glorious about this toddler that one of the men said, we need to open the treasury. And these guys gave it all. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us how they got home. But something took place. They were so extravagant in their giving and in their life for the Lord and their worship for God. They gave everything knowing, watch this, because they studied in history, this is the God that says, I will take care of you and I will provide. We're giving our all to you and we're going to prove by seeing you and being in your presence that you will do that. So let me just say this to you. 
Why would you ever doubt that God's not going to provide? Why would you, if you are a worshiper and there's this great expectancy because you know the truth and there's this really great understanding of who God is and what happens in the presence of the Lord and you just, everything of this world, worries of this world is shattered because you are a worshiper like these wise men. It was glorious to be in his presence. And it's the same today. So that's how we worship. Church family, you can never separate worship and giving. Worship is always giving and giving is always worship. If you want to go into a new level in your worship, Go to a new level in your giving. And I'm not just talking about your tithe. I'm talking about your ministry, your call. I'm talking about servanthood. I'm talking about being gracious to other people. I'm talking about forgiving. I'm talking about being a person that absolutely understands what it means to be in the presence of God. Last thing I want to tell you about the wise men Remember they came into Jerusalem and asked, where is he? Verse 12 says, Then after they were in his presence and worship, they were divinely warned in a dream. It says, divinely or by God, warned in a dream that they should not return to Herod because you know why? Herod wanted to kill him. So they departed another way to their own country. So never, ever forget this. And I wrote this down, and I want to read it to you. Before they worshiped or entered into Jesus' presence, they had to go to other people to find out what the Bible said. After they entered into his presence, God spoke directly to them. There comes a day where it's okay. Go to an elder, go to a pastor. Pastor, what? I'm I'm really struggling in this area. Can you help me? That's called counsel, wise counsel. But there's a day when we still have wise counsel because we come in agreement in the word. But there's a day that no longer we have to question others why or how is we've been in his presence. And because we're in his presence, we will be divinely led. It's not the pizza you had the night before. You are divinely led because you're a worshiper. If I'm not a worshiper, I will always have to ask, and always wonder why. So what does that mean to you and me today? Wherever we're at with the Lord, our relationship with God, church, whatever, once you get in the habit 
of entering into his presence on a daily basis. God will speak directly to you, and you will hear him being divinely led by him. I don't know about you. I want more of that. So I'm going to be more extravagant in my worship to the Lord. I'm going to be more extravagant in my giving. I've been doing that. I've been living, trying to live that lifestyle. Growing, being passionate about my worship. When there's something going on with church, get there early. Maybe culturally, you're not used to getting anywhere early. But get there early. You get there early because there's a purpose. What is my purpose of being here early? Because I don't know what to speak on. I've had this thing ready for months. I am making sure that me, myself, and I am absolutely seeking God and being that worshiper, that I'm extravagant with God. If he tells me, you get up at 2 o'clock in the morning, get to church at 3 o'clock, I'll be here in a heartbeat. But there's a time frame that I know in my spirit, I don't ask anybody else to do that, but in my spirit that I'm supposed to do that. What does that do for me? A purpose for me is that I become a total worshiper. And that's my place. Yours, whatever it may be. Maybe it's you go to bed early on Saturday night, a half hour early. Whatever it may be, whatever it takes, be that worshiper. Let's all stand. So this is what When I say Merry Christmas and Happy New Year, this is the background of history with my life, what it means. God is a promise-giving God and a God that fulfills his promises. And if I join in, in his presence, accepting, believing, and waiting. And as I taught today, and I won't go over it again, and I become that worshiper, diving into this realm of relationship with my God. Merry Christmas and Happy New Year means to me, I am divinely led. So, you know what was great? This year, especially knowing I was going to be teaching this, Holy Spirit reminded me, every time one of you said, Merry Christmas, or sent Terry and I a card and said, Merry Christmas, it reminded me I'm divinely led. That God has blessed me. God has overwhelmed me with his promises and the fulfillment of these promises. That's the Christmas story. You're here today watching online. 
and you don't know Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, promised thousands, thousands of times, reiterated by people for thousands of years, and it came to pass he was born. 33 and a half years later, he was crucified. Crucified. But he rose again on the third day. And he defeated death, hell, and the grave. The very purpose so that we can be in the presence of God. Because I have Jesus in me, I have the ability to be in the throne room of God every single day. You can have that. What you do is you believe in your heart, confess with your mouth, that Jesus Christ is Lord, the Bible says you shall be saved. And then you start your journey like all of us, like the wise men. You seek after God, and I promise you, because it's a promise from God, He will give you the desires of your heart. Let me pray. Father, thank you for the blessing of Christmas, New Year's, for the blessing of this breakthrough decade, prophetically spoken over this church by our sister. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, I come in agreement with that, with my brothers and sisters. We are family, brothers and sisters. We love one another. We are excited about each and every individual that's here because everybody has a call. Everybody has a purpose. Everybody is important at Valley Community. Those watching and listening, you are important too. Join us, be with us, and serve the Master with us. And we give you praise for that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Love you.